Welcome to the Just Ingredients Podcast. I'm Cara Lynn, and here we talk all things nourishing to the mind, body, and soul. This is a place where you can find just good ingredients to life. If you sometimes lack the energy and motivation to get into the gym, or are hitting the snooze button instead of that morning class, or are just not feeling like you're giving 100% during your workout, Just Ingredients Raspberry Pre-Workout is for you. Just Ingredients Raspberry Lemonade Pre-Workout is a 100% natural pre-workout drink that increases energy, improves mood, sharpens mental focus, increases strength and endurance, and reduces fatigue. Just Ingredients is committed to its ingredients and only uses the highest quality natural ingredients that come from the earth. Just Ingredients pre-workout is naturally sweetened and flavored with real foods and contains no artificial dyes, chemicals, or sugar alcohols. So if you want some help getting a boost for your workouts, you want to try Just Ingredients pre-workout today. For 20% off of Just Ingredients pre-workout, use the code JIPODCAST2 on our website at justingredients.us. Once again, that's code JIPODCAST2 at justingredients.us for 20% off your pre-workout. Dr. Yvonne Burkhart is a board-certified toxicologist, coach, and corporate consultant. She is a 21-year veteran of toxicology with expertise in reproductive toxicology, particularly endocrine disruption, infertility, and cancer. She has also served as a senior toxicologist in the flavor and fragrance chemical industry, where she helped to ensure the safety of flavor ingredients. After witnessing firsthand the power of a low toxic lifestyle, Dr. Yvonne began a mission to help consumers slash their toxic exposure with confidence and ease. She lives in California with her husband and two children. Welcome to the show, everyone. I am really excited today to have Dr. Burkhart here with us. She is a true expert in toxins. And so that's why I've asked her to be on the show today, because literally, if you see her on social media, she knows everything and she's had 20 plus years of experience in this field. So welcome to the show, Dr. Burkhart. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm super excited. Will you just tell my listeners a little bit about yourself and your background and how you started studying toxicology? Yeah, absolutely. I am a board certified toxicologist. I live in San Diego with my husband and two children, and I've been studying toxicology since I was a student in college. And I actually stumbled upon this whole entire field of toxicology kind of like serendipitously in an accident. And it just stuck with me. And how did you just fall upon it? Just start living this type of lifestyle? I actually did not live a low tox or toxic free lifestyle for most of my life until I would probably say the last 10 years or so. And I actually was looking for a summer job when I was in college and got a job washing dishes in a toxicology lab and just became obsessed. Oh, that's so interesting. Just learn the basics while you were washing dishes. Exactly. Oh, how interesting. Okay, so I want to talk about a lot of different toxins. And so let's start with first the toxins in our home, but maybe in the air, because the air in our homes can be really polluted, right? Yes, it can actually be anywhere from two to five times more polluted than outdoor air, which a lot of people don't realize. Oh, that is really interesting. Okay, so what in the home is causing this pollution? 
Oh, so a lot of our activities in the home, including cooking, cleaning products, fragrances, air fresheners, perfume, candles, those are all sources of volatile compounds that can be released into the air when we're using them. And then are they getting into our body by us breathing them or some other way? Yes, they're actually getting into our body through our lungs, our airways, because some of these chemicals can actually attach to house dust. And so we can be breathing them in for much longer than we're actually using the product. That's interesting also. Okay, so I've been seeing lately that toxins in the air can impact children differently than adults. Explain this to me. Yes, so children, specifically babies, can be anywhere up to 20 times more susceptible to toxic injury than an adult, simply based on body weight alone. So what children are exposed to can actually have a much more pronounced and magnified effect from a toxicity perspective compared to an adult. And they can't actually detox as effectively as an adult until about the age of 10 years. So is it their liver that just can't detox as well yet? Yes, exactly. The enzymes are not as upregulated or they're not as high as in an adult. So they can't actually detoxify as efficiently as an adult. Okay, so what health issues could these toxins be affecting? Oh, they can have so many different health problems. They can cause endocrine disruption, so disrupting the hormones, which can actually affect puberty, the timing of puberty. So children who have higher levels of endocrine disruptors in their bodies can have early puberty. They can have issues with behavior and cognition like ADHD. They can have issues with digestion, metabolism, pretty much anything that can be affected by our hormones, which is almost everything in our bodies. Okay, so I know the pollution in the air can also affect asthma, right? Yes, absolutely. They can have a direct effect on the respiratory pathway in our noses. It can cause allergies. And like you said, asthma, which is a chronic condition. It's not something that necessarily just goes away, right? So if parents have these children with asthma, ADHD, things like that, they should maybe look at the air in their home as well? Yes, I would definitely recommend looking into that, especially the products that you're eating, the foods that you're eating as well, because these can all have an effect on these same pathways. Okay, so let's talk about formaldehyde releasers, because are these in our air as well? They can be because they're they're used in a lot of our products as preservatives. So if you're using a product that has a formaldehyde releaser that can be sprayed, for example, then that can definitely get into your air. So let's talk about formaldehyde releasers. What exactly is a formaldehyde releaser? So formaldehyde releaser is a chemical that releases formaldehyde. And as you know, formaldehyde is a carcinogen. So it's not necessarily something that we want in our homes and in our products and in our bodies. So where are common places that we would find formaldehyde releasers? You can find them in a whole bunch of different types of products like personal care products, shampoos, soaps, different types of cleansers. I've also seen them in cleaning products, household cleaning products. And so if we're spraying a cleaning supply product, like on our counters or whatever, on a daily basis, are we breathing in these formaldehyde releasers? Yes, potentially. But yet they're carcinogens. Right. And so how is this actually allowed? Like how does the FDA or the EPA allow something like this to be sold on the shelves? Well, they typically don't regulate these products. So they they follow what's called the dose makes the poison mindset, which isn't accurate, in my opinion. 
It doesn't apply to chemicals like what we're talking about, formaldehyde releasers, carcinogens, and endocrine disruptors. They just don't apply. So the concept is the lower the dose, that means that it's not going to have a, a health effect on you. But that's not necessarily true. And so we're seeing that the health effects later on after uh, an ingredient or a product is released onto store shelves, that we're seeing health effects maybe decades after. And so they're prop they're not being properly tested. Right. And I know they say, well, it's just a little bit. Well, what's a little bit when you're using a cleaning supply product like an all-purpose cleaner every single day after breakfast, after lunch, after dinner, multiple times a day, you know, what is a little bit? And so, okay, so what is the purpose of formaldehyde releasers? Are they purely preservatives? That's it? Yeah, that's mainly what they're used for as to preserve a product. They're very, very strong at killing bacteria, yeast, and funguses inside of products. So they're really, really effective. But of course, they don't come without risk. Right. Okay. So now how can someone know if the product they're looking at, like to buy at the store, contains a formaldehyde releaser? Will it say it on the ingredient label? No, it won't say formaldehyde at all because it wasn't intentionally added. It's actually a byproduct of how those chemicals react with the other substances in that product. So the process of formaldehyde being released was not something that was intended by the manufacturer. So they can just list what the ingredient was, not the effect of the ingredient, if that makes sense. Yeah, that gets really confusing for people then. So how do people know if this uh, cleaning supply product or the shampoo or the body lotion or whatever, how do they know it doesn't have a formaldehyde releaser in it? So there's a couple ingredients that kind of stand out and you can tell by looking at the name. But the confusing part is that the names are all kind of different. So a few that I can mention are DMDM Hydantuin. That's one that's pretty commonly used. They're, although their manufacturers are phasing it out just because consumers are becoming more aware and more savvy to it and are avoiding those products. So they're kind of swapping them out for other types of preservatives. But other ones are, you can look for the word imidazole. I know that might sound like a scary chemical name, but that's just part of the chemical word that you might identify. And usually you'll see these at the very end of the ingredients list. So that's another way that you might be able to spot them. Okay, so that DMDM one is actually an easy one for me to look for because I do see that on the ingredient label quite a bit. And so I'm actually really excited to hear that companies are swapping it out. That means us consumers are being becoming more and more educated. Yeah, absolutely. That's the most amazing part about doing this work and helping to educate the public because we can really push these companies to do better. Yeah. And I think it comes down to finding companies too, that we can trust companies that are trying to provide better choices for us out there. Exactly. Okay. So we've talked about formaldehyde releasers. We've talked about some toxins in the air, but now you touched upon endocrine disruptors, but I want to talk about that and ask you questions about that because what is an endocrine disruptor? An endocrine disruptor is basically a chemical that disrupts the hormones in our bodies. Okay. And so they like mimic our real hormones, right? So our hormones have a hard time doing their actual job. Exactly. They can mimic them. They can block them from working properly. So there's a bunch of different ways that they can affect us, but they're basically throwing a wrench into our hormone system. Right. Okay. So where is the most common place that we will find endocrine disruptors? Oh, I would definitely say as far as 
the products that we use every single day, they're definitely found in fragrances. So the word fragrance is kind of a catch-all and it's almost code for phthalates, which is an ingredient that they put in fragrances. You can also find it in food packaging like plastics. That's a, that's a big source for, for most people is getting phthalates through the foods that we eat. Okay, so let's talk about fragrance because fragrance is in so many things. It gets confusing for people. So when you see the word fragrance, does that mean that it has phthalates in it? More often than not, yes. Unless the packaging says like no phthalates or phthalate free, correct? Right. Generally speaking, it's kind of a it's kind of a gray area because a lot of companies will say, oh, it's phthalate free, which is good. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's toxic free. The oh, fragrance. True. It gets confusing. It does. Phthalates are confusing. just one type. So phthalates are an endocrine disruptor that are found in fragrance. And why are they in fragrance? So they're used to actually make the fragrance last longer. So if you're smelling a scent a while after you use the product, then you can almost guarantee that there are phthalates in there because most scents don't last that long. Right. It's so sad that these phthalates are in so many products. I mean, lotion, shampoo, face wash, even cleaning supplies. It's crazy because people want it to smell a certain way. Um, but these phthalates are really affecting our health, right? Yeah, definitely. They are mimicking estrogen. They're disrupting the balance in our hormones. They have been linked to so many of the health conditions that we kind of touched on earlier because it can basically affect the entire body. So it's not just the estrogen pathway that they're affecting because one hormone affects another hormone. So if you're affecting any of them, you're affecting essentially your entire body. Right. Well, and I know they're affecting infertility and PMS and weight gain and headaches, migraines, inflammation. I mean, the list just goes on and on of things that they're affecting, right? Absolutely. So, And we're uncovering more every single day which I'm so glad we're studying this more and more and trying to educate others on this. So I get this asked quite a bit. People will say like, well, why do fragrances when I'm walking down the store aisle way, why do they bother me? Why do they sometimes trigger like a headache? Yeah, some people are becoming more and more sensitive to fragrances simply because of the amount that we're exposed to on a daily basis. Because if you can just imagine like what you're saying, going through your daily life, you wake up in the morning, you use a couple products, they all have fragrances in them. You've got scented plugins around your home, perhaps you're using cleaning products that have fragrances. They're just kind of everywhere. And so our bodies are becoming inundated with these things. And so a lot of people are developing sensitivities to them. So is that why some people are triggered with skin issues due to fragrances? Yeah, that's also another aspect of it, too. So we're triggered through our noses and what we're breathing in, but then they can also trigger respiratory allergies and skin allergies because the chemicals that are found in fragrances are potent allergens. Okay, so phthalates are in a lot of these beauty products, but there's also parabens in a lot of these beauty products as well, right? Yes, parabens are still used. I still see them. There's some really highly recommended products that dermatologists recommend on skincare that still have parabens in them and even deodorants so what, still have parabens. So what is the problem with parabens? Yeah, parabens are estrogen mimickers. Again, they're, they're preservatives. They're also very highly effective. They're cheap to use. So manufacturers really love them for that because their profit margins go up. And they're basically 
again, another source of an estrogen or endocrine disrupting chemical that we don't necessarily need in our lives because we have alternatives out there that don't have these negative health effects. Yes, we do. That's what I want to tell people because parabens are the preservative, which a lot of beauty products actually need a preservative. We don't want them to go moldy or have bacteria in them, but there's other preservatives out there that are not harmful to the body. So I want to tell companies, use the good preservatives. We don't need these parabens. So the parabens are the preservatives. The phthalates are what keeps the smell lasting longer in these beauty products, cleaning supplies, things like that. So it's two things affecting our health, right? Exactly. Two things among many, because the rest of the product can also have problematic ingredients, as you know. Okay. So do these parabens and phthalates affect children and teens differently than adults? Yes. So there's actually a study that showed that girls who had high levels of parabens, excuse me, of phthalates in their bodies actually had earlier puberty than girls that didn't, which is pretty shocking. So interesting. Yeah. And there was another study that showed that some girls switching away from products that had fragrances and phthalates and parabens and triclosan, actually those levels dropped in their bodies within just three days. So that's a really exciting finding that just switching your products for a couple of days, you can already see a drastic drop in these chemicals in your body. Yeah, that is so great. And I know from personal experience, I know from other listeners that once they got rid of phthalates and parabens out of their beauty products and using them on a daily basis, that their periods were better, their menstrual cycles, the pain, the how long they lasted, the PMS, all of that got so much better. So that's another factor, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I personally also had really painful periods. And once I went low tox, no longer have that issue. It's incredible. It is. Okay. So these uh, parabens and phthalates are in like body lotion, body wash. And so we're rubbing them into our skin. So they're being absorbed through the skin. But can we also absorb them through breathing them? Yes. So if you're, for example, burning a candle, if you're using perfume. So I used to do this thing where I would spray a cloud of perfume in the air and walk through it just because I felt like that gave me a nice even coating. But if you can just imagine you're inhaling those chemicals directly, if you can smell it, that means you're inhaling it. You're inhaling it. So even the body lotion, that's what I was implying was like body lotion. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, if you rub it on your skin, even if you're not spraying it in the air, you're right. You're rubbing it on your skin. If you can smell it, that means those chemicals are volatilizing and they're reaching your nose. That means you're breathing them in. Okay. So how do these listeners or how do consumers, I should say, know if there's parabens and phthalates in the product? Are they on the ingredient label? Parabens, yes. Phthalates, sometimes. So parabens, you'll see methyl paraben, for example, that's a really commonly used one. You'll just see that part of the word paraben on there. And again, it's usually at the bottom of the ingredients list. Fragrance is kind of code word for phthalates. You can almost assume that there are phthalates in there. I'd say I do that just better safe than sorry. And that way you don't see the phthalates. But if you see the word fragrance, that's kind of an indication. But sometimes you'll see the word phthalate on the label. If, for example, you're using a nail polish and if the company actually discloses their ingredients, then you might see phthalates on there. But phthalates are... I want to say like a secret ingredient. People don't have to list it on their ingredient label, correct? Yeah, especially if it's lumped in with the fragrance term. And why don't companies have to list what's in their fragrance? 
So they actually have proprietary protection. So it's written into the laws and the regulations in our country that allow companies to not have to disclose their fragrance chemicals because uh, they want to protect their trade secret. But it seems so wrong because it could be full of like 4,500 different chemicals and we don't know what we're smelling or breathing or rubbing on our skin. Exactly. It's just one of those things that now consumers are causing enough of an uproar that hopefully these regulations get put into place. But it could take a long time, but the hope is still there. So just keep pushing for manufacturers to be more transparent and we'll see the changes eventually. Well, and so why do you think, because I'm out there trying to educate people, like look at the ingredients, know what's in your products, um, nourish your bodies properly. But there are people out there that are like, eh, it doesn't matter. The parabens are fine. We've had parabens for years and years. Like the phthalates are fine. So why are people out there trying to teach that? Again, it's that it's kind of the the mindset that the dose makes the poison. And we know now after decades of these chemicals being in use that it doesn't make sense to look at them that way. And so they're kind of following that mindset and it's really outdated because a lot of these chemicals are not tested properly before they go into products. So we don't even know what they're going to do in people. And so we're almost like test subjects. If we're using a lot of the products that have ingredients that haven't been properly tested, we are the test subjects. So in that regard, this type of thinking is really outdated and it's causing a lot of health issues because it's making people have a false sense of security when we don't actually know what's going to happen to us. Right. Okay. So how many chemicals are out there that people can use and have they all been tested? At least register with the EPA upwards of 85,000. And I would probably say less than 0.1% of those have ever been tested properly and fully. And even with the testing that they have done, there's even problems with the way that they do it. Wow. That's a lot of chemicals that we could just be rubbing into our skin, breathing on a daily basis, and no one has tested them to see if they cause cancer, heart disease, all sorts of things, right? Right. They're just kind of accepted and they've been kind of what they call grandfathered in. So, oh, well, they've been used for so long, it should be fine. But there's even chemicals out there that are used that you'll probably see uh, in your deodorant and all different types of products, propylene glycol. That's one that was introduced decades and decades ago. But now we're seeing in the clinic, oh, my gosh, so many people are having allergic reactions to this stuff. Propylene glycol is in a lot of things, a lot of beauty products. So that is another ingredient to stay away from. Absolutely. And why is it just because of being an allergen? That's not the only reason, but just simply because of how many products that are used, it's used in, you'll start to layer these products on top of each other. So your exposure level goes up. And then it also has what we what we call penetration enhancing properties. So it can actually help other chemicals go deeper into your skin, into the bloodstream. So why do you think companies are using these products if we know they're a health risk? Again, because the regulations are not out there to ban them. So they haven't been banned yet. And even once they do get banned, it can take several years for those regulations to take effect. And they simply use them because of profit. They're very cheap and easy to get, easy to source because they usually come from petroleum. So they can synthesize these by the vat full and then they can make a lot of money off of it, unfortunately. Yeah, I always tell people companies are worried about their own man's pocket, not man's health. 
And so you've got to find the (laughs) companies that are actually worried about people's health and wanting to do the right thing. Okay, so now let's talk about air filters. Let's move to a new topic. Because air, air filters are becoming more and more trendy. A lot of people are trying to educate others about them. Do you actually recommend air filters in the home? Yes, I do recommend them in the home, although I don't necessarily think that we need to buy them if we're just new and we're looking to make switches to our lifestyle. I don't necessarily think that you need to run out and buy an air filter as the first thing that you do, because there are ways that we can clean up our indoor air without having to rely on a purifier. What are some right out of the gate? Yeah. What are some of those ways? Opening your windows. So if you check your outdoor air, if you type into the search online, air quality near me, you'll see if your outdoor air quality is good. And if it's good, you can open your windows. And I know that some, especially during colder months of the year, people are hesitant to open their windows, but that's actually the best time to open your windows because the air inside can become really stale. We can have increased mold growing in there if we're not getting proper refreshing of the air. So once you open your windows, even just a few minutes a day can really be helpful. Well, and also I tell people just stop using the products that are polluting the air because some of these people will tell me like, oh, I bought an air filter, but I love my candles at night. And I'm like, oh, what candles are you using? Like, it's almost like they're trying to balance each other out. You know what I mean? Rather than let's just get rid of the things causing the toxins in the air. So besides candles for the air, what else would you suggest getting rid of? Incense is another big polluter. Of course, we know that smoking is also a a huge polluter, but the fragrances, the fragrances are now being kind of considered the new secondhand smoke because they just kind of infiltrate everywhere. And like I was talking about earlier, they stick to your house dust. So if you're not dusting, mopping and sweeping regularly and opening your windows, those chemicals are recirculating in your air. Wow, crazy. So does your HVAC take care of some of these chemicals or no? Uh, it really depends. It might help with some of the particles or type of way to trap them when they're in the gas phase in the air, when they're still floating around in the air, not, not necessarily attaching to a particle, like a piece of dust. So like you were saying, the best way is just to stop polluting your indoor air. Okay. So if people do want to buy an air filter, are there a certain type of filter they should look for? Yes, definitely look for a true HEPA filter because there are some HEPA filters out there that can trap particles, but they're not real HEPA. So they're HEPA-like, which is gets kind of confusing, but just look for one that's a authentic HEPA filter that can trap the particles. That's really important, right? Like the dust and those types of things. Pet dander. And then if you want to trap the gases, you want to get a carbon filter as well. So if you have both of those types of filters in the same type of device, then that's usually what I recommend looking for. And so... A HEPA filter, does that just mean it can collect particles that are tiny like the dust? Yes, it can actually trap what they call fine particles as well. So like the really small ones that you can't even see with your eyes. So can HEPA filters trap mold, bacteria, things like that? Yeah, they can. They can trap mold. They can trap certain viruses and bacteria as well. And some air purifiers actually come with UV light inside to help kill those bacteria and microbes once they're inside the filter. But again, if you open your windows, that's going to help a whole lot because sunlight can actually kill bacteria and viruses as well. 
So interesting. Okay, so in these filters, if we're looking now for a carbon filter as well, carbon filter, you said, will help with the gases, correct? Exactly. And where are these gases coming from? So from the products again. So it's these volatile organic compounds. If you ever see on websites, they'll say VOCs. That's what they're talking about is these fragrance chemicals, the particles that you'll find in smoke also as well that come from your when you're cooking. So if you're, let's say you burn something and you see your, your air filter kick on, it's because there's a lot of those gases and particles in your air. So VOCs, because I do see that quite often, like no VOCs. So those are purely the gases being emitted from the product. Yes. So what are common instances of this? Cleaning supplies? Yeah, definitely cleaning supplies. If you're spraying anything, the plug scented plugins, those definitely give off VOCs, burning candles, burning incense. Those would be the main sources in your home. Um, what about laundry soap and dryer sheets? Oh, yes. Those two as well, because again, those have the fragrances in them. So those fragrance chemicals, if you're smelling it, that means it's volatilizing. That means it's a VOC if it's reaching your nose and you can smell it. Okay. So do you recommend people just being done with these products or do you actually suggest finding a better choice option? So for instance, candles or um, dryer sheets, what's the best option? Yeah, I, w I don't necessarily recommend completely stopping anything. If it's something that you really, really love, it's something that you have to experiment and find what you can tolerate. So for, for me, when I was going through my health journey, I was quite sick and reacting to a lot of fragrances. So I just decided to get rid of them. And it just really depends on your situation. If you're feeling pretty good and you still like your candles and you want to enjoy it every now and then, then look for the cleanest option that you can. Or for example, you still want to have a little bit of scent in your laundry. Just look for the cleanest option that you can. And if you're not feeling well, then maybe that's something that you want to get rid of. So it really just depends on your situation. Yeah. And today, I think it's so much easier to find these better choice products than it was even five years ago. We've come a long way. So I'm excited to see in another five years what amazing products are out there. So I always tell people, vote with your dollars because... Companies aren't going to keep making the product if they're not making money. And so let's demand these better choice products from the companies. Yeah, that's really the way to do it, because as consumers, we can literally shape the marketplace. We just tell these companies, hey, I'm not going to buy your products anymore. You've got too many toxic concerns. I'm going to avoid it and go for this product instead. And that's really how we can help these smaller indie brands get bigger and expand their product offerings so that we can get better products. Right. Well, people will say to me all the time, like, why aren't these better choice products in Walmart or Target? And I'm like, because they're trying to get there. They're little. Me having my own products, I know we're little and it takes time to get into those big box stores if you ever get there. And so, yeah, it's really important to support these smaller companies that are trying to provide these better choice products. Okay. So now let's talk about greenwashing. Can you tell my listeners what greenwashing is? So greenwashing is a type of marketing that is deceptive because it makes us feel that a product is safer or healthier than it actually is. And most of these claims are unsubstantiated, meaning there's nothing to back them up. So it could just be entirely fake. So why do some companies do this? So they know that consumers now, especially probably your listeners, are looking for better options and so are looking for certain words on the product 
certain colors, things like leaves that look more natural, green colors, the word clean, the word natural, the word organic even. So they're starting to sprinkle these things in and try to make you feel like this product is better than the rest when it might not be at all. Do you think those products are a little bit better than the others? Some of them might be better. Some of them are an improvement perhaps, but not necessarily as clean or as natural as they market them to be. So this gets really confusing for the everyday consumer because how do they know then what to buy? If if they think they trust a company, but then they find out that company has been greenwashing, I mean, what do they do? I know there's a lot of lawsuits out there right now against some of these quote unquote clean brands that you'll see in stores. So like you were saying, generally speaking, what you see on store shelves, especially in big box stores, are not the cleanest options. There are better ones. For example, at Walmart, I went into a section and they kind of have a, an area with a little bit more natural, a little bit more organic products. So I recommend if you can go to your health food store. That's a really great way to narrow down the options and really cut out a lot of the big mainstream brands. But from there, highly recommend looking at the ingredients list because that's really the only way you'll know what's inside the product. Well, and I always tell people to buy online as well, you know, and support these smaller companies. Okay, so now this can all get really overwhelming for people. They are looking for parabens and phthalates and now formaldehyde releasers and trying to figure out what VOCs are. And I know it just gets really overwhelming for people. So where do you tell people to start? I tell people just start first little by little, just step by step, because it's really a marathon. It's not a sprint because we're really hoping to clean up our products in our homes and improve our health for the rest of our lives. So I really don't necessarily recommend everyone dump their products at once because that can also be very stressful on us, right? Not just from you know a mindset perspective, but also for our budget. So I recommend taking small steps. If you're brand new to this, I would recommend first swapping and getting a, a water filter because we know that there's a lot of issues with tap water. So just try at first, get clean drinking water, and then maybe switch out your cookware and the containers that you're using to store your food. So little by little, these small changes over time can really, really add up. Yeah, we didn't even talk about kitchen stuff because maybe we should talk about that just for a minute. There are some issues with the pots and pans we cook with, and there's issues with the things that we store our leftovers in. And so what are the biggest concerns in the kitchen? In the kitchen, definitely we want to look into our cookware because especially if we're spending time cooking our own food because we want to be healthier, the last thing you probably want to do is add chemicals back into your food. So nonstick coatings, different types of metals that are used in the cookware can be problematic too. So I highly recommend getting away from nonstick cookware. And so looking for like stainless steel, cast iron, things like that? Yes, stainless steel, cast iron. Ceramic is also an improvement. So there's different levels that you can go to depending on, you know, how, how deep you want to go into this. But you can just make simple swaps like that in the kitchen. And then instead of putting your food in plastic, switch to glass because plastic eventually will break down and that's going to end up in your food. So the plastic chemicals, the plastic particles, you don't want to be eating that. You definitely don't want to feed that to your children. And using glass over time 
doesn't pollute your food and it doesn't pollute the environment because you don't necessarily have to throw it out unless it breaks. And even if it does, you can recycle it. So it's not really causing environmental pollution either because that's, again, going to affect us in the long run. Okay, so in the plastic containers, it's actually the BPA that we're concerned about, correct? And the phthalates. So the phthalates are also found in the kitchen. They're found in personal care products. I mean, they're pretty much everywhere now. But the good thing is that by making these simple swaps, switching to glass, stainless steel, you can get away from from the plasticizer chemicals. And the BPA that's in the plastic, BPA is an endocrine disruptor, just like the phthalates are. Yes, absolutely. In fact, it's even more potent than phthalates. Right. And I just wish more people knew about this because these chemicals really are affecting people's health, but yes, not enough people know it. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of the products that we're using on our children, on our babies at a young age, so if they're using them for the rest of their lives, then we really don't know what the long-term effect is. Okay, so let's go back to the pots and pans because I didn't finish asking you this. So to me, the marketing is really confusing on pots and pans because most of them will say no PFOA, which that chemical has been banned from many countries. So really, people should be looking for no PFAS, the no PFAS, correct? Yes. So you're, you're absolutely right. The PFOAs, they're not even, they shouldn't even be in cookware to begin with. So it's kind of, again, a greenwashing, kind of a fake distracting, deceptive term, because unless you know that you're going to think, oh, wow, it's PFOA free. That's great. But it shouldn't even be in there in the first place from a from a legal perspective. So it doesn't make sense that manufacturers are advertising this except for to make profit. And every single pot and pan I find in the big box stores will say that, you know. OK, so what is the issue with uh, PFAS chemicals, the PFAS? Is, yeah, so the P, the PFAS chemicals are forever chemicals. Once they're made, they basically almost never break down. So they don't break down in the environment. They end up in our bodies. I would say the vast majority of people, there are studies out there. Most people, if not almost all people have PFAS in our bodies because once they come in, they don't leave. That's really the problem. And we're exposed to them continuously day in and day out through drinking water, through the air, so many different ways through our food chain. So it's really hard to get away from these things, but you can you can significantly cut down on your exposure again with a water filter and switching out your cookware. Yeah, it's crazy to me that now the PFOS chemicals are in our tap water. So I tell everybody, one of the first things you should do is get a water filter because of that. And just so people know, aren't there like eight or 9,000 different PFOS chemicals now? Uh, I'm not sure of the exact number, but there are definitely several thousand different kinds. And so just so people know, the PFOA that you see written on these um, pots and pans of having no PFOA, that's only one of the thousands of PFAS chemicals. Correct? Correct. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so let's help our listeners out. If they're going to the store buying cookware or glass storage things, or they're buying body lotion, shampoo, cleaning supplies, where should they start to look on the ingredient label? Like, what should they look for? Let's first talk about, I guess, then the personal care products and the cleaning products. So I highly recommend looking at the ingredients list. Cleaning products don't often have their ingredients listed. There are some that just don't have them at all. And you might have to go online and look them up. In that case, 
that just takes too much time and it's too much of a risk because we have no idea what's in there. I highly recommend looking for ones that actually have the ingredients listed. And if you do see the ingredients, stay away from the PEGs and the glycols. Those are petrochemicals. That's a really good place to start. And then also looking to avoid fragrance products. So fragrance-free, not unscented, fragrance-free. That's really what you want to look for. Okay. Those are good little tips. So tell my listeners where they can find you and where they can learn more from you. Yeah. So I actually have a weekly email series called Low Talks Tuesdays that teaches you how to completely detox your home in easy bite-sized pieces. And it's content that I don't share anywhere else. So you can catch me on my email list and also on Instagram. I do mini trainings. And I also like to make a lot of videos to educate consumers about the chemicals and ingredients that are in our products. Okay. I have a question for you. Do you trust the EWG? In some aspects, yes. I wouldn't say across the board. So their Dirty Dozen and Clean 15 lists are really, really excellent because they can help us to focus on the types of foods that have the lower pesticides so that you can save money and you don't have to necessarily buy everything organic. So that's amazing. They also have really good information about tap water that you can look up what's in your tap water, what contaminants are above legal or safety limits. That's really, really cool. But the ingredients database and their Think Dirty app, I have seen a little bit weak and there are some problems there. So I don't necessarily trust it 100%. But it's a great place to start, especially if you're brand new to low tox or looking to reduce your toxic burden, then using that app can really help you at first. But I don't recommend relying on it entirely. So it's just a good starting off point. I agree. I always tell people it's a great reference, but it's not 100% accurate or factual all the time. So you can't take it as 100% factual. Okay, exactly. So any last tips that you want to share with my listeners about living this low toxic type of lifestyle? Yeah, I would really just think about how do you feel? If you're feeling amazing, then you might not have to change anything. If you're not feeling like you're thriving, if you're not feeling 100% and you really have not been able to find answers in other places, maybe consider going low tox because what's in our environment can really affect our health. And I recommend taking it slow and steady because these changes can be made over a lifetime. And then once you start implementing these changes, really educate your children so that they can avoid the pain of having toxic injury, toxic effects in their bodies. And there's no such thing as perfect or zero tox. So just try your best. Every improvement helps. Right. I tell people that all the time because people will try to fight me on it and say, you can never be toxin free. And I'm like, well, you can reduce the toxic exposure that your body has to deal with. Okay. Thank you so much for being here today. I always close my um, episodes with asking my guests what they have found to be the best ingredient in life. What would you say it is? Definitely living with intention and gratitude. Because being intentional about the way that we live, the choices that we make, and then being grateful for all the blessings we have is really what has kept me going through all of this, especially when you're not feeling well and you're having health challenges, just remembering that you can support your body and you can heal. So intention and gratitude. I love those two. So important. Well, thank you so much for being here and explaining some of these to us. And I know the listeners have learned some new things. So thank you again for being here. Thank you so much. 
Thank you so much for listening. Remember to subscribe to the Just Ingredients podcast to learn more about your health and good ingredients to life. Plus, get daily tips at just.ingredients on Instagram.